welcome to McLean's pop culture podcast, Thrill, for the week of March 26th. On this week's show, Girls Talk. HBO just wrapped up its fourth season of Lena Dunham's show about four 20-somethings living in New York. What happens when an it show becomes a familiar friend? One Direction, separate ways. Zayn Malik left the uber-popular boy band this week, leaving its massive, mostly young fan base in hysterics. It also made people make fun of those teens. We explain why making fun of them is super hypocritical. And The Thrill approves this segment. Angelina Jolie made waves yet again for another op-ed in the New York Times, this time discussing the removal of her ovaries and fallopian tubes. We all agree it's an example of a positive celebrity endorsement, but what makes a good one work? And joining us for the show this week is Colin Horgan, who contributes regularly for McLean's.ca's art section. I'm Adrian. I'm Emma. And I'm Julia. And this is The Thrill. When Girls first began, it was with a great deal of buzz. Finally, we fizzed a TV show that will actually explore what it's like to be a young millennial. Now it's been four years, the fourth season wrapped up on March 22nd, and Lena Dunham, who famously joked about being a voice of a generation, is still plugging away at the show, which has become almost familiar and institutional. Colin Horgan has been watching Girls from McLean's for the last three years and reviewing episodes and seasons for us online. Thanks for joining us, Colin. Nice to be here. So I guess the best place to start is to tell us what you thought about uh, the fourth season that just wrapped up. Um, I actually liked it. Uh, I liked it more than the third and probably more than the second season. Uh, but I think in the end, as I suggested previously this week, that perhaps it's time that it uh, finished up. What was it that you preferred about this season than, than the last two, I guess? Um, I think the overall mood of the season was good. I think that they came sort of to a realization that these characters are, uh, in, they need to grow up a little bit. And there was a lot of very sort of overt, perhaps even on the nose references to uh, them not being grown up, which people who have been watching the show for a while obviously already knew. Um, but I think, but kind of by the end of it, they established that these characters are finally kind of transitioning to adulthood and whether or not that's going to be an easy thing to do or a hard thing to do, I'm sure will come up in season five. But yeah. Well, this is what I, the sense that I got from your piece, which was that there's something really interesting about that sort of moment you mentioned in time when it was sort of the birth of of the certain type of hipster that we're all familiar with and this existential crisis that this type of young person has when you know you want to be cool and party and live in the city but you have no money and you're trying to find a job and as obnoxious as that is it's also it also makes for a pretty fun TV show mm. and i feel like now the girls are getting older and there's not really that much interesting about adulthood but it's like the logical next step because once you get older that sort of same existential crisis no is no longer cute or cool it's just kind of pathetic and boring yeah. to watch I, I would say that I would I would argue that actually adulthood is very interesting it's just a different kind of existential crisis that you're in and I think that this show set itself up to sort of deal with you know as I said like it's it was of of the sort of particular spot in a particular time and yeah it seems to have hit a point where they now have to come to terms with okay so all of the hipsters who were around in brooklyn in 2006 2007 and 2012 i guess when this show started um are now having kids and they're maybe moving or the sort of scene is is not quite the same uh so yeah i mean i think a, a show that relies so much on its uh, it's a geographical context. It is is sort of limited in in time because once that's changed, then the entire ethos of the of the show really is kind of altered a little bit. What's interesting too is that we're kind of seeing this not just in girls, but I think that central issue of 
uh, not just a like city and a hipster idea growing up, but but just like a generation growing up and what that sort of means. Mm-hmm. This generation that we really, really we've only started defining in the last like five years. Um, Noah Baumbach has that has a movie coming up where with Ben Stiller where he's you know this uh, he and uh, his wife are sort of dealing with growing up and hang out with some hipsters and mm-hmm. give them new youth. But it has like uh, a former Beastie Boy as a guy who has a who has a baby and like how that's like you know dealing with just aging in general. Um, I think we're seeing it like all over in different kinds of weird places. Yeah, all the hipster is dead, so it's time to find out what the next thing will be. And it, you know, there's going to be a little bit of lag time between now and you know normcore or whatever you want, but mm-hmm. something will replace it. There will be a, another show to def- to sort of talk about that. But yeah, this I mean, girls specifically will probably continue for another couple of years. But you know, the the show is going to be much different, I think. And if it's not. Uh, that's a huge mistake on their on their part. I think that they could potentially transition it into quite an interesting show about y- being a young adult rather than being a sort of twenty something post college kind of person. Um, and that's why I think Ray is so interesting that he's he's sort of taken on a more an adult role. He was always the oldest character anyway, mm-hmm. but he's kind of becoming um, I don't know, yeah, an adult. And, he's certainly the first to get there. Yeah, yeah. and he's you know he's going to be a politician. I mean, yeah. that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Okay, so maybe the the hipster is dead. But, um, you know, I'm not a particular uh, fan of girls. I watched maybe the the first season and some of the second season. I, I missed the third season. I watched half of the fourth season. And when I checked back in with these characters, what struck me was that they didn't really learn anything. So so if the hipster is dead, what is what is not dead is like transitioning from being a young adult to being like a fully formed adult. And part of how you do that is like experiences happen to you and you learn things and then you move forward. And I'm not this is not true of every character. Shoshana was the one that kind of like seemed to be you know, taking the experience that happened to her and like applying them in a positive way. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of the characters, I found that like they just things happened to them and then they were just really didn't know how to deal with it and they just kind of went into themselves into like a spiral of despair as opposed to like reflecting and learning they just think the answers are outside of them instead of inside of them Mm -hmm. and that just did not elicit any sympathy from me and 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 that's kind of what made the show really boring to me is like oh everything's still the same yeah well i mean this is i mean the, the hannah horvath has always been a really difficult character um but weirdly enough it's kind of in fitting it fits in with a lot of other characters that have been on tv in the last 10 years uh, who are um, mostly unlikable. Uh, so, to that in that respect, like yeah, I agree. She's really difficult to watch and she's very frustrating. But so is Don Draper, um, and so they kind of share this. Uh, I don't know this sort of uh, misanthrop- misanthropy, misanthropy, mm-hmm. misanthropy, whatever. <laughs> um, that yeah, it, it's a challenge to watch. And I think probably one of the most interesting characters on the show is Shoshana in, in a way, but. But yeah, anybody who can internalize their their issues a bit better is obviously a nicer character to watch. But I wonder where does a, a show like Girls go from here? It sort of reminds me of shows that are very different, but also revolve around a cast of young characters, like even Saved by the Bell or mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. You know, these people grow up and then, or the OC, they go to college and then things get kind of awkward. This is just a little bit later where now they're adults and things are getting awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just, you know, while I was um, re-watching some of Girls to get ready for this segment, I also decided that I would uh, check in on Broad City to see what they were going, mm-hmm. what they were doing these days. And it's kind of, it, in some ways it's a similar show, only because it's a bit like 
a couple of girls in New York City, and it's they've also had their season finale just this past week, and it's the show of the moment in the way that it's still about like a young urban hipster millennial, I guess. So they're similar like that, but um, they in in the idea of like the girls on girls not really learning any anything, and that being a point of annoyance, kind of as as Emma said. The girls on Broad City don't learn anything either, but they they seem fine with it. They seem to have adopted this kind of like Seinfeld mentality of like no hugging and no learning, but because it's more of a comedy, it seems to work for that show. But to me, they kind of if, if there's some kind of usurping going on about how everybody seems to think Broad City is really of the moment. They're on the cover of uh, New York magazine this this uh, coming month, and like, what do you think about Broad City in relation to girls? Well, I'm gonna have to confess that I have not I've yet to watch Broad oh, City. However. S- However, I will say that I was when Emma was talking, I was actually going to think I was going to reference Friends, uh-huh. which is I know that, you know, it's a while ago. But again, it was about a bunch of 20 somethings, Gen Xers who were in, in New York. And where did that show end up, you know, in terms of where girls could go? That show became really kind of cloying and a bit, you know, boring in the end when they all sort of became, you know, their parents effectively. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and it and it was, you know, I don't know, it was different from Seinfeld that it was too uh, sincere. So I think part of what girls is striving to do is kind of really speak to something. You know, that that the thing that Hannah Horvath says at the very beginning, she wants to be a voice of a generation is that like her character happens to take herself very seriously. In fact, a lot more seriously than basically anybody else on Earth. <laughs> Whereas I'm not that I've seen Broad City, but I suspect by your description and what from what I've heard, there is a knowingness of like, meh. And that was sort of the difference between Seinfeld too, is that they were like, "Look, we know what we're doing. We don't, we don't want to learn anything. It's not going to be. We're not taking this too seriously." And I will just say, like, you know, for me as a watcher, uh, like a TV watcher who also happens to be of the generation that like Girls is referencing, I have two very different feelings. One is as a TV watcher, and I think this is true for all of us. We want closure, we want learning, and we want, you know, to, to a great degree, like for that people to grow, at, even if it's incremental. And the thing about Girls is like it's been so profoundly negligible to the to be the point of like it's annoying, right? That's what we're talking about when we mean annoying is that, you know. Uh, Hannah Horvath, you know, makes a decision about Adam and then just goes right back or like doesn't. Learn, or, yeah, it's just what right. She learn? she never quite gets there, and like neither does uh, her friend played by Allison Williams, who just Marnie. is uh. yeah Marnie, who just is the same like vain, desperate for attention person the entire time through. Um, but as a person in you know my mid twenties, I think part of the thing is that this is a generation. Though the hipster, the idea of the hipster may be dead, the hipster is very much alive. It is the thing. It is the de rigueur identity of a generation. And I think because of that, we don't have the answers, so we can't actually display them on TV. You know, even if we wanted to say Hannah Horvath, what do, what are you going to learn? It's because Lena Dunham doesn't really know what she's learned. I mean, the her memoir is called Not That Kind of Girl. Uh, a young woman tells you what she's quote-unquote learned because she, meaningfully, and if you read the memoir, she she hasn't learned meaningfully Yeah, but a whole that's bunch. also her brand. That's just a smart move. Sure, but <laughs> I like I don't have all the answers. I think that's true, and that's Nobody what's difficult. Nobody has all the answers. I'm just saying right. they don't show – there's no increment – of learning. She just seems to be in a cycle sure. of the same mistake with a different face. Right. But TV is like you write what you know. And the thing is, we just don't know the answers of growing up. Um, so w- with friends, we sort of knew they're, they're you know, they're late. They're older. So they have a better sense of like how things are going to be. Even they started the actors in their early 20s. Sure. But, yeah. but the, the actors themselves even were older. Mm-hmm. Like Lena Dunham, this is, this is a show run by, you know, people, uh, you know, their late 20s. Um, I just think that there aren't a lot of answers. The same issues when you watch the movie Francis Ha, another Noah Baumbach mm-hmm. movie. That's a very frustrating movie to watch because the girl sort of just floats through life and that floating is that essence of I think 
you know, millennialism or whatever that is. But it's because, meaningfully, I don't think a lot of us know the alternative. I do. Oh, yeah, Emma, me what's too. the answer? Tell me the answers. Oh, my God, I need these answers. Please help me grow up. <laughs> so what's the solution, Colin? Can girls save itself from itself? Whoa. Um, uh, yeah, so, like, I don't know. I mean, earlier I kind of mentioned that if if they... I think if they allow the show to, to not be stuck in this um, parameters that they set for it four years ago in terms of this being like a very sort of a show about young people who are trying to figure things out. And maybe if these characters finally do actually start to figure things out, you know, that's a whole new trajectory for the show. And that could be quite interesting to watch. Um, but, you know, that's a different that's a different kind of program. I don't know if people would come to it for that. So, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what season five brings. Uh, but. I'm, I would be happy if it ended ended now. Mm. If Me that too. were if that had been the the finale, I would yeah. been, I'd been okay. It felt kind of whole. okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can read what Colin had to say about girls in season four on McLean's.ca. After five years of incredible success, a member of One Direction is going in another direction. In an effort to regain control of his private life, Zayn Malik announced on Wednesday that he was leaving the mega-popular boy band, and you know what that means, teens got emotional. Social media lit up with photos of puffy-eyed kids and teenagers wailing in capital letters about how this was the end of their lives. And of course, some other members of social media started to get snarky. Adults made fun of these young people for their overwrought reactions to the news that is ultimately about a 22-year-old changing his career. So first off, Adrian, please tell us about One Directioners. Well, far be it for me to describe myself as a as the speaker for all directioners, but I found myself in that weird position lately. Uh, I actually had dinner with someone who would describe themselves as a One Direction expert. She listens to One Direction every day, and she gave me the inside scoop on what Zayn Malik uh, means to One Direction. Uh, so an important thing to know for people who are maybe not familiar with them uh, is that Zayn Malik is, quote, the pretty one. Uh, also, arguably one of the best voices. So, you know, this is a thing where it's not, for instance, it's not uh, if Ringo left the Beatles, this is an intrinsic part of the boy band. This is for uh, members of our generation. Um, it would be akin to JC Chazez. I can't say his name. Chazez leaving NSYNC. It would be, it would be like Brian Latrell yeah. leaving, leaving right. Backstreet And Boys. not Joey Fatone. Correct. Or AJ. Joey Fat or... Was JC the cute one? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, so so that's sort of so so Zane is not just a, a mere you know cog that you can replace. Uh, his departure does actually mean something to a boy band that has been extremely successful. For whatever you believe about uh, One Direction, the the numbers sort of speak for themselves. Um, they sold more than six million albums in the U.S. alone. They've notched four top ten hits on the Hot 100 chart, uh, with 19 charting in total. And that's like in four years. This is, I mean, these are pretty crazy numbers. Last year, uh, they grossed more than 290 million dollars on just touring. Um, you know, this is a band that meant a lot to a, to a, a massive number of people. These are some of the most popular um, people. Uh, on social media, on Twitter, uh, they have crazy followings. They they have been described as the as as a band that really was propelled by social media in a major way um, into the fame that they're in right now. Um, so the departure of Zayn, for me, I have a great deal of empathy for the teens. As we were just going around the table and saying, we all kind of have our own experiences of a, a really important group in our lives uh, breaking up, whether it's uh, NSYNC or Spice Girls uh, or you know, as I was like the Beatles. Um, we've all had important people in our, you know, teenagedom uh, 
sort of leave our lives. And that and those things are so important. You know, our tastes are really what separate us or bring us together in our teenage years, this kind of period where we don't really know who we are or what's around us, but we kind of has to act like we do. Um, and so I, you know, I looked around on social media last night and was just struck by the hypocrisy of adults uh, making fun of teens who were, you know, uh, waylaid by this ma- by this news, forgetting, of course, that, you know, even for us, we didn't have social media when the Spice Girls and NSYNC broke up. And thank God, frankly, but there's no reason to make fun of people who do now. Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me that's related to this was when Missy Elliott performed on stage with Katy Perry at the Super Bowl. And after her performance, a lot of young people in their preteens and teens on social media made statements like, who's this Missy Elliott woman? She's great. Like, wow, Missy Elliott's really going to blow up. Thanks, Katy Perry, like for, you know, introducing her to us. And the response was similar in that it was totally snarky and mean and, you know, people my age, I'm 25 and and even older, who are Missy Elliott fans were sort of the backlash was, how could you not know who Missy Elliott is? Like, you know, that's ridiculous. When really it's totally logical that a teenager would not know who Missy Elliott is. She was big like a really long time ago, like before some of these people were born. And I feel like what a lot like where this sort of backlash and indignation comes from is just people, millennials especially, wanting to grab hold of their youth before it slips away. Like they can't believe Mm -hmm. that their idols are now sort of passe. What I think this is, uh, what what has amused me about this the last few times it's happened, it happened when Beck won a Grammy, obviously it happened when Missy Elliott was the Super Bowl, it's that I think the expectation now is that there is nothing that you can't know. So for someone to not have just Googled Missy Elliott and then been like, oh, okay, I see who that is, and instead proclaims to be ignorant about something is uh, is kind of rare. You don't get a lot of people saying, telling the world, like, oh, I don't know who or what something is. Instead, especially on Twitter, we all profess to be experts uh, because we're all sitting at our computer Googling things. So, I mean, it's a little off topic, but I think that's kind of where that really comes from is that not only people are maybe sort of pining for their lost youth a little bit because well, whatever, it's gone, but it's also because you think, well, of course, everyone's going to know everything. How is it possible that you don't? Yeah, this is kind of like, uh, this is becoming the millennial episode, really. Apart. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like that, but there was a video that, that was on pretty recently where it's millennials compare, like, start, like doing that thing where, oh, man, I'm I'm so old right now. Do you believe that, like, 10 years ago this was happening? And then, like, over to the right, there's old people there, like, actually old people. They're like, oh, I can't believe 50 years ago I had my hearing or whatever. And it's like, let's let's all take a minute to acknowledge what we actually mean by, by age. Lately, it's like I turn on the TV and all the athletes and pop stars are younger than me. Yeah, Blake Griffin is 25. I'm 26. We're so old. I would say going to the bathroom is my greatest struggle. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. So the Beck thing, I think the thing is that you're con- people often confuse uh, tweeting out on social media as like a prideful statement mm-hmm. um, that's like somehow insulting to you. But a lot of these, a lot of these teens were just writing it usually to the followers that are their friends in school, just being like, I don't know who this Beck is, but it's so great that you know whatever. I don't know who this uh, Paul McCartney is, but thank God that Kanye West put him on. He's gonna be pretty cool. Um, I, I think that's that's and just, he is. He so is. That's good. So good for. <laughs> 
Kanye West. <laughs> That's really ultimately it. And what really struck me when I wrote the piece I did uh, on One Direction is the fact that teens uh, is, are actually kind of this new demographic. Um, it's something that uh, really ultimately started when like Frank Sinatra kind of was like the first teen idol in 1942. There was this quote uh, uh, where he did this performance and he said the sound that greeted me was absolutely deafening and he had no idea what to do with all these like teenage girls that were all around him. And it, it really sort of came about um, because rock music uh, – sort of created this counterculture uh, that sort of was a product of a whole bunch of social reasons that like teens suddenly had a lot of free time. They weren't working in on the farms anymore. Uh, they, you know, it was it was the baby boom. So there were a ton of there were a ton of children. Um, so when we criticize teens, which seems so like easy and normal to do, teen, the idea of like a teen and having an identity is actually only really 60 or so, 70 or so years old. Um, and I think I'm, I'm kind of struck by that. The, fa- the idea of a teen being a pretty new thought. Julia? I, I see where you're going here, but first I want a note about boy band fandom as it relates to teens. And it's it's old, and it's much older than the Beatles and even Frank Sinatra. It's It started with um, this this virtuoso pianist named Franz Liszt in the 1800s, yes. and it was called Liszt Mania. That's what they called it. And concert goers, and particularly women, they would fight over his handkerchief, and they would try to get their hands on broken piano strings so they could wear them as bracelets. And then there came the Bobby Soxers, which were the uh, Frank Sinatra fans in the 40s, and then Elvis rocked America, and then the Beatles came and the world went insane. And um, girls were fainting and screaming and all that. Even venue uh, venues report used to report that the seats and the floors would be wet after Beatles concert because girls would literally pee themselves. Adrian, as Adrian mentioned, he wrote this piece about One Direction. Yeah, but who hasn't peed themselves at a concert? <laughs> I mean, really? Sometimes you have to stand Fair for enough. a very long time. That's true. Bathrooms are really <laughs> hard to reality. get to. It's so packed. <laughs> Um, Adrian did, as you mentioned, you wrote this piece about One Direction, which you, sh- you should all, of course, check out on mcclans.ca. And um, and as you say, that teen fandom is not new, only that as the world is made smaller by social media, we're getting to see it in cre- crescendo, so it seems like there's more of it. And yeah, I, I mean, I agree with the idea that technology compounds the effect, like with Beatlemania gearing up in the... The 60s, so too is the rise of TVs in in the home. So it was broadcasting Beatlemania into your house mm-hmm. and, and technology makes the world smaller. But also what Beatlemania and One Direction um, have in common is uh, timing. It was There's an influx of teenagers. There was an influx of teenagers with the baby boom. They all became teenagers in the early 60s, um, which made them a bigger – they had a bigger fan base than Lister Sinatra because of that. And uh, more popular money and influence, all that. The rise of the teenager, as you say, in terms of pop culture being important. And millennials are hovering near the same teen young person percentage in Canada um, that the boomers did. Let's not forget money. No. True. I mean, money. That, I mean, that was part of what the Beatles, that was part of what made them so huge is that it wasn't something that people were just a fan of. It's 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 sort of there was an ownership over it, right? Instead yeah. of it just being like, oh, it's playing in my house. We have albums, whatever. It's like I am I am a consumer of these people. I now own a portion of their career. I am invested in them literally by my money. Right, which is and and I would say that when you're a teenager, that's maybe not the first thing you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. But just a note about that that note of, of like proprietariness or or shame about about it in social media. Because there has been shame, uh, people shaming the teens overreacting about Zane's departure, and um, and you and you for the most part it's actually it's teen girls right mm-hmm. who are usually chastised of being like quote too hysterical, which is you know a word 
historically Not, used to describe it's problematic. unmanageable emotional excess in Well, I mean, young if girls. you're peeing yourself at the <laughs> right. concert, you probably do have yeah, some yeah, physiological excess. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, during Beatlemania, anyway, a lot of teens were like 13, 14, 15 were talking about which Beatle they wanted to marry, and that really terrified their parents because it was like a, to a, an early onset of sexualization, which mm-hmm. would not they were not fans of, as you can imagine. And now with the One Direction sadness... The outpouring of sobbies, a, a word I learned yesterday, which is sobbing selfies, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. which are now all over social media in relation to his, his departure. And, uh, and you know, there's the eye roll, like, why do you, you didn't know them? Why do you care so much? Right. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I remember being a teen and things used to express who I was to myself and to others, like bands and fashion statements and favorite celebrities, I guess, because I didn't know who I was yet. So these affections and loyalties stood in the place of, uh, as I was trying to form my identity. So it makes perfect sense that teens are taking this news pretty hard because it's a piece of their identity falling apart. But I think what's important is that we all agree that what makes you beautiful is a great song. That song is so great, guys. Oh, I see. That's oh. the name of a song. I didn't know. None of us knew that. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. It's not for us. One direction. This isn't for us. That's what makes you This week, Oscar-winning actress and human rights activist Angelina Jolie penned an op-ed in the New York Times publicizing what is, for most women in the same boat, a deeply personal decision. Jolie, whose mother died of breast cancer when she was 56, revealed that she planned to undergo preventative surgery to remove her ovaries and fallopian tubes because she carries a faulty gene known as BRAC, a gene that greatly increases a woman's chances of developing ovarian cancer and breast cancer. This isn't the first time Jolie has shared a very serious medical health choice with the public. Two years ago, the actress penned a similar op-ed in The Times, revealing that she underwent a preventative double mastectomy for the same reasons. Emma, you wrote about what some scientists are calling the Angelina effect on the claims. Uh, what are your thoughts right off the bat? The an- Yeah, so the Angelina effect, um, which is dubbed that because after Angelina Jolie wrote her op-ed uh, revealing that she was that she had had a mastectomy, in 2013 actually really changed testing rates like around the world. So Mm -hmm. one study in the U.S. found that within the first week that her op-ed was published, testing for breast cancer in the U.S. increased by 40%. And it's been getting a great response, her op-ed that was published again this week about um, her ovaries and, and the chance, the high risk she has of developing ovarian cancer. And I don't see why it wouldn't. I mean, we're constantly bombarded with celebrity endorsements of of health products or health trends that are really bad for you. And so this is welcome news. And I think most researchers and scientists and doctors are very pleased with Angelina Jolie and proud of her. I think the only criticism some people have is that it sort of scares a lot of women into thinking they might have to get this very invasive surgery that isn't necessary most of the time. Mm. But... I mean, there's always going to be people who overreact to everything, and I think it's overall a very good thing. And I think um, what's so rare about Angelina Jolie's op-eds is that, you know, whereas other um, celebrity endorsements, even if they're endorsements for good things, like for human rights causes, they're often very sensational and really impassioned and kind of out there. But Angelina Jolie is sort of very um, practical in her Mm -hmm. thinking. Like if you read any 
you know, either one of her pieces, they sort of read, as I wrote in my piece, like something you'd pick up at a health clinic, like a, a pamphlet with a lot of information. They're almost boring in certain parts. Right. And you bring up the idea of being deluged by celebrity health endorsements. And obviously we're talking in no small part about Jenny McCarthy and her uh, anti-vax movement. Uh, We're also probably talking about Gwyneth Paltrow, who actually, Emma, you wrote about also um, sort of her goop goop. uh, stuff. And she endorses a lot of really weird cleanses and vagina things that don't do anything or probably just give you a rash. Right. So for you, so for you, the through line is that, you know, Angelina Jolie is this very practical person. And you can see that in the op-ed that's actually very surprisingly clinical op-ed uh, talking about an operation that a lot of people didn't know about. Whereas you have these other people who maybe don't have a lot of you know background knowledge in the stuff that they're endorsing. Um, that's sort of the, the through line for you. Julia, where, where do you see as what do you see as being a, a kind of helpful line for celebrity health endorsements? Yeah, I I certainly agree with Emma about the the sincerity of what Angelina wrote and why it was effective in that way. She, uh, I think Emma, you talk about how it reads kind of like a pamphlet you'd get in a doctor's office and you put it down because it's so informative slash boring. And I and and in relation to things like Jenny McCarthy and the anti-vaxxer movement and Gwyneth and her 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 arsenal of cleanses. That's to me more like a, a kind of a belief. Like they believe these are things that they just have decided to to take on as what they think might be true, or they have one instance of of evidence. But somebody like Angelina, or like somebody like Kylie Minogue, who had breast cancer in two thousand and five, or uh, Michael J. Fox, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's in the early nineties and then set up um, a foundation to do scientific research, is. Uh, more sympathetic because there's a difference between belief and affliction and these are things that people have to live with mm-hmm. and uh, and then how they deal with it as it occurs to them and and I think we just we appreciate that earnestness because we realize that it's something that's personal and then they get to take a, um, a stoic angle or they get to do something good with it like set up um, a research center like Michael J. Fox did and you know um, reading about Angie and and the uh, the op-ed that she put forward, it reminded me of um, Ewell Brenner, who was this actor that won the Oscar for The King and I in 1956. And he died of lung cancer in 1985. But before he died, he did a uh, PSA with the American Cancer Society that was only broadcast after his death. And it said something to the effect like, now that I'm dead, don't smoke, it'll kill you. And it was a hugely successful campaign. Like, nobody had ever done something like that before. And he was looked really sick. And there was just, there was no glamour going on. There was no, like, I think it might, uh, a, a shot in the arm might could cause autism. I think eating more kale helps empty your bowels better. Mm. You know, it was like, oh, that's real life. But I, what I was thinking when you guys were talking was that how how it might make a difference at what level of celebrity we're talking about. Angelina Jolie can get away with saying a lot of things because people take her very seriously for one reason or another. Brad Pitt, equally so. George Clooney, etc. Jenny McCarthy, on the other hand, uh, was never really a, you know, a, a serious in her first profession. So why would we ever take her seriously <laughs> what about in her Gwen? second one? She won an Oscar. Our friend. Right, <laughs> our old friend Gwen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, to me, that's sort of that's a difference. And then I think just to maybe again, I don't have a good example for ones that work and ones that don't. But um, yeah, I was thinking when you were saying that in terms of the the Mule Brenner example, how he, when he died of lung cancer, 
Um, I was just thinking of Rock Hudson, who died of AIDS, and nobody talked about it. And yet he carried a lot of um, he carried a lot of weight as an actor when mm-hmm. he was big. Um, so I think that really that really sort of matters. What there's two things that need to happen. One, it needs to be somebody who's uh, who can be taken seriously, and and two, that it needs to be something that people are already kind of talking about. Yeah. I think with Rock Hudson, he was ashamed that it only mm-hmm. he only kind of admitted it days yeah. before he, mm-hmm. he died. Yeah. There was crazy stigma. Like let's yeah, not right. he was not he was not able to talk like, about okay, it. He was like okay, this is what's happening right. to me. Mm-hmm. He, he still because wanted no to one keep really it close was. to his chest yeah. understandably. So I think that's probably why mm-hmm. there's a, there's a stoicism when people are like okay, this is this sucks but this is happening and let's all this is you should get checked and so on. But I only drink a certain brand of water because Jennifer Aniston tells uh, me to. Water. So there's that too. Well, you can read what Emma had to say about Angelina Jolie and her decision on McLean's.ca. And uh, Colin, thanks for joining us for the whole show. My pleasure. Well, that's it for this week. Find new episodes every Friday at McLean's.ca and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and BeyondPod. Leave us a rating or a comment on iTunes or drop us a comment on the site. If you like this, make sure to check out our politics podcast on The Hill. You can also hear some of our columnists, like our very own Emma Title, read their work at McLean's Voices. Both are on iTunes and Stitcher. Our theme song is by Young Clancy. You can follow Colin at C.F. Horgan. You can follow Emma on Twitter at Emma Rose Title. You can follow Julia at Julia Del J. And me at Adrian K. Lee. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.